Okay. At last, at long last, we're back to discuss more Final Fantasy VI. Um, how's it going, Ben? It's going all right. It's been a while. Um, you've got through some of your uh, responsibilities, and now it's time for some of the fun of exploring the world post-apocalyptic uh, wasteland that it is. Mm-hmm. Um, with Also with... playing some Final Fantasy VI. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's... Oh, man. It's, it's close to home. Sorry. Um, yeah, it's, last... it might be the worst time or the best time to play this game. <laughs> in, the, yeah, in the last episode, we like saw our grandfather figure pass away very sadly, mm-hmm. um, or at least go silent, right? And we sailed off on the raft uh, to find um, if there, see if there are any survivors in this whole world. And we wind up on a new continent. Um, did we explore some of the towns there yet last time? I don't. I honestly don't, don't think we got to to any of the towns. Like we had just washed up on shore at that point. Oh yeah, so. I think we did say that we saw this big tower with mm-hmm. like a, a swirly, you know, uh, geo design around it, which is. Yep. Pretty, pretty nifty on Kefka's part. But yeah, so if you go into the first town there, um, people talk about how he's he's got the light of judgment. Is that what they call yeah. it? Yeah. Okay, that's what I wanted to start with then. Um, that's a good thing to start with. Yeah, what, what is Kefka doing with his light of judgment? What is that about? There's, there's definitely, like, the minute you walk into that town, and th- this is kind of, it's interesting that this town was one of the, the Empire's towns back you know before the cataclysm um like it's the very same town where you know the soldiers had taken over the place and like the bar was doing the dancing girls and the rowdy soldiers were like running the place and even when you when you talk to the bartender at this point like after the world of ruin he reminisces about it um like yeah 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 sepia tint and all um but it's literally just the bar like he's not there's no action there's no cinematic there's no like pre-scripted characters running around it's literally like what you ran into back in before the cataclysm what you would have seen if you just walked into the bar and then were going around talking to the people it's literally just like the same dancing girls the same rowdy soldiers um which i think is kind of interesting like because especially when we talked about into that town before we we've definitely referred to it as a crap hole like it, it's it's a dump the soldiers have ruined the place um the empire has moved in and while they're the biggest business in town they're also a bunch of you know rowdy troublemakers who are wrecking the place and yet our bartender now reminisces fondly he's like man i wish for the good old days and the good old days are the bad old days um like reevaluating the standards there um but also, like, as you say, this town lives in fear. Um, they're literally the closest town to Kepka's tower. They're right on the edge of the giant swirling spiral geodesic landmass that he's claimed for his own. Um, and they all live in fear of the light of judgment, which sounds very suspiciously religious, like the act of a divine being. But now it's something that Kefka does. Apparently, this light of judgment is how he punishes the towns who plot against him by basically just like burning them to a crisp, like full-on Sodom and Gomorrah-style divine judgment. Um, only, again, this isn't some divine benevolent god. This is Kafka, the 
like whimsical and malicious and unpredictable um, who is wielding this apparently final objective justice in this new world. Yeah. Yeah. Is he also worshipped as a god, essentially? We hear somewhere about this cult that yeah. has sprung up around him. I don't recall if that's mentioned just yet or... Yeah, there are a couple rumors about like the cult of Kafka and the cultists. It seems like they're a faraway thing at this point. This is not one of those cults where it's like, you know, the 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 tattletales, the, the whistleblowers are among us at all times. Like you never know who to trust, which would be an interesting dimension, but it seems more along the lines that Kefka doesn't bother with, you know, infiltration and double dealing and plots and so on. Um, like when we actually run across the cult, which it'll be a while, um, they kind of seem to be acting completely independently of Kefka. Um, <laughs> like they're trying to make sense out of this senseless world, but Kefka himself doesn't seem to regard them as anything special. Um, as I remember, which again, we'll, we'll get there and probably have more to say about it. Yeah. Um, but insofar as Kepka is like the figurehead of a religion, if, if that's the case, it's not a religion most of these people are taking seriously. Like they're, it's pretty clear that they're towing the line out of self-interest, not out of some reverence or respect for this wow. divine being. Absolutely. This is... Fear. This is fear of God in the negative sense, not like fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Right. <laughs> there, there's still um, some knowledge about the world though, right? Like um, people know that things have changed uh, apparently forever, um, mm -hmm. but they also are, they seem sort of interested in some of the changes that have taken place. Um, there's, um, there's, this is the town with the scholars of magic, uh, mm -hmm. And so they sort of know about like some legendary um, monsters that are now roaming the world. Uh, and again, these seem sort of like independent of Kefka. Yes. Uh, they're like forces of nature that have been unleashed uh, when the statues were, were moved out of alignment. Mm -hmm. uh, there's eight dragons. Yep. Uh, so we're going to, you know, run across a few of those at least. Um, and I think others are like hidden, right? And we're going to have to sort of track mm -hmm. them down. And then there's the Fun Baba. I think it has other translations in different versions, but that's, that's what I got in mind. Um, mm -hmm. uh, also probably like Humbaba or something like that. And uh, there's the Doom Gaze. Yeah. Which, <laughs> so that one, it's just sort of like flies around randomly, uh, much like the Ultima weapon in Final Fantasy VII. Um, and you'll just like encounter it as you're flying around once you get the airship back. So, so this yeah, but you you never see it coming. Is the danger with the Doom Gaze? <laughs> like you'll just be flying, minding your own business, and then bam, you're in a fight. And hope you prepared for it. Hope you're not weak, or you know, remember to restock your party because here he is. Be a level five multiple because you get wiped yeah. immediately. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this, this is like a new wrinkle in the idea. The whole idea of like you know, random enemy encounters, they don't usually include bosses, um, but now they do, which is pretty yeah. Cool. yeah. Plus, you know, the, the rule has always been when you're in the airship, you're safe. Yeah. Like, unless you are deliberately flying into trouble for whatever reason, you know, you are literally above the world. And I think, like, pretty much every Final Fantasy game that has an airship in it 
unless it's a scripted encounter or something you choose to do, you are safe when you are in the airship. Like, no exceptions until Final Fantasy VI. And I'm pretty sure there aren't any exceptions afterward. Like, no. I don't remember seven or eight having anything like this. Ten doesn't even have an airship proper. Like, there's just no com- comparison here. Yeah, there's so there's ways that this um, sort of this new world partway through the game that's that's kind of par for the course. Um, but this this seems like a little more extreme uh, in some pretty interesting ways. Uh, the the art um, mm-hmm. surrounding Kefka right it extends to the the land masses and the serpent trench. Like now that it's raised up out of the water. It is yeah. shaped, it's shaped like a, a dragon, right? A serpent, essentially. Yep. And um, I like, I also like the idea that there's an inversion here. Yes. That, you, like, this idea that what was up is now down and what is down is now up. Like, that the, and just the idea of a trench now being an island of the same shape and mass, it just, like, it's a tough thing to wrap your brain around. But it's very much the sort of embodiment of like the negative is now positive, the positive is now negative. Um, You know, Kafka has literally changed the fundamental rules of this world. Um, He has made up down, so to speak. And even like you talk to a couple of the people in that town and they describe like the way that he constructed his tower. They, They say that it's, it just looked like, chunks of debris from all over the world just sort of came flying out of space and accumulating at this point and that's the tower um and and it looks like it like when you when you approach it it doesn't look like a tower in the sense of something constructed or orderly it looks like a giant pulsating mass of mess like just chaos um yeah he's so he's the um sort of the center of gravity around which chaos like swirls and mm-hmm. uh, and becomes, I don't know, useful uh, for his purposes. Um, so we do see the light of judgment in action then shortly after this. Mm-hmm. Um, you make your way to the next, well, I mean, you don't really know where you're going, so you're just kind of wandering, but the nearest place you might wander to that you can go in is a uh, town that's getting the light of judgmented. Um, yep. as you walk up, right? And you also meet your first, I, I think you hear about, right? You've, you've heard about um, Locke because mm-hmm. there was the bandana and you hear about somebody looking for his friends, I think in Albrook also. Yeah. Um, it's not clear who that is yet, but you know, probably one of your party members. I think um, there's also a hint at one point, like one of the characters says, you look familiar and the insinuation there is like, the bandana that you've taken to wear is what they recognize. And so you've got this sense that Locke has walked these halls before you. Um, but it's, it's you know, just a hint, just a whisper, like barely even something that registers. Because um, it could just as easily be like, this is a person who literally saw you before, you know, before <laughs> the world ended. Um, it's just that's so long ago that like, what did it matter? Um, but I think it is also important to emphasize just how alone Sellers is at this point. Like we talked about that a lot in the last um, discussion, as I recall. But you know, what I find so striking about this opening part of the section is how aimless 
it is. Like you don't have a mission. You're, you're washed up on this continent. There's a fairly obvious town to walk to. Like you said, there's a fairly obvious second town to go see because there's literally only two towns on this, on this whole continent at this point. Um, but there's no guidance and there won't be, um, you'll you'll get like little hints from different characters saying yeah there's a town up north or yeah on the serpent trench you can find like a town in the east on the far east end and on the far north end and that's where the boats are so maybe go there but there's there's no handholding there's no objective there's no like the boss of the returners is telling you what to do um you are very alone and very unmoored in a hostile unpleasant and frankly nonsensical world right yeah and so you're like you're doing the normal rpg things like going around and talking to people and trying to find your way but it does somehow feel a lot more open um a lot less uh determined like Mm -hmm. what you need to do um and and it's i think you can fail to get most of your party members back right like if you don't rescue the kid from the collapsing building in time. Does Sabin just not join your party? I I don't know. Um, I've never not successfully rescued okay. the kid yeah. in time. Um, <laughs> I, I would assume that like if you are still in the building when the time runs out, you die too. So you just end uh, up with the game over and you go back to, to doing it again. Um, I, I'm not sure if you can like just pass up on the quest and just stand there and watch the building burn and wait until it ends. Um, okay be kind of a horrible horrible experience to undertake um as it was i was rushing through getting all the treasure chests and sarah's like what are you doing there's a small child and i'm like yeah but this chest is going to be gone because <laughs> um, of course you know video games and the way that we the way that we optimally play them um but that's that's kind of a trap too because half of them are monsters <laughs> yeah and they're slow man the battles take the longest yeah because again it's just you like Sabin won't help you for these fights um so i was i was fleeing like i just ran from everything that attacked me oh, that's an interesting like, strategy yeah it, it didn't get me any experience but it definitely got me to the kid in time like i had three minutes when i came out of the house um, oh, nice. Sabin's like oh okay <laughs> So he just like held it for three more minutes and then let it collapse. Well, no. <laughs> as soon as I walk out with the kid, he's like, okay, that's enough. And then the whole thing collapses because Sabin is apparently load-bearing at this point. He's, um, he's essentially Atlas in this moment, right? He's pretty holding. much. Yeah. Which, you know, there's something really heroic about it. Like, oh, yeah. And, and something, something sort of reminiscent of, you know, so many stories and tales before, like Atlas or Heracles holding up the world for Atlas, right? Like I think of it as an almost inversion of like the Samson and Delilah story with like Samson rattling the pillars to bring the house down. Here we have Sabin, you know, holding it up until he can't anymore. Um, I was curious, is he the reason that the light of judgment strikes this town? They say something like they resisted, right? Is he trying to like rally um, uh, a new um, resistance against Kefka or is, is just like he happened to be there when this thing happened. Uh, it's not explicit, but that's a pretty logical, logical way to take that. Like, especially because it is Sabin, right? Like, of all of the party members, Sabin has always been the loner, the independent, and the rebel. Um, like, even even when we meet him, you know, on the mountain training with his his sensei, like having left the responsibility of government to Edgar. 
um, you get this sense that like he's going to do what's right no matter what is going on, no matter what other people tell him to. Like it would make sense for him to be the guy to be stirring up trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I don't think anybody says that explicitly. I don't think anyone tells you like, yeah, he's the guy. There's certainly nobody like chasing you out of town with rocks. No. Um, if anything, like everyone seems apologetic. They, they seem, they, they act like this was inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as they're running around in a panic when you first walk into town, you know, there, there's at least one character who's like, we deserve this. We asked for it. We, we, this is what was bound to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think if anything emphasizes just, you know, how, how broken these people are at this point. Um, like the thought of revolution isn't something inspiring or exciting to them. It's something that they know will be punished and destroyed. This is not like, you know, a resistance cell in a, a tyrannical empire. Like we saw with the returners earlier in the game. It's not exciting and adventurous. Like Kefka is basically omnipotent at this point. And if he, through whatever means he has figures out what's going on, he just wrecks you period. Like not even, not even breaking a sweat. Yeah. It's like if he took the time to notice that you were going around in, you know, recovering your friends one by one, would he even bother to try to stop you? It's, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's very, very unclear to me. Um, yeah. I was reading in my spare time several weeks ago, um, like I read it every now and again, but uh, Mark Twain's Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court, um, which has always been one of my favorites. And there's this really telling line in there where Hank Morgan tells us that the best form of government is a divine dictatorship. Um, because there you have like no fallibility, complete enforcement of the rules and, you know, perfect judgment and wisdom. And I find Kefka's rule to be such a weird, a weird reinterpretation of that. Yeah. Like he has made a divine dictatorship. He literally just blasts with the light of judgment, anyone who disagrees with him. Um, and as a result, the rules are incredibly clear. Um, it's very obvious. The power structures are unassailable and not subject to change and everybody accepts them. And there is peace and yeah. misery. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, d- deep despair. In, yeah. In, this is where, so, so if you do accomplish the rescue of the child, I feel like that's the first sort of, um, you know, first little win that you've got really. Yeah. Like, you try to commit suicide. You can't do that properly. Yep. Uh, your grandfather figure apparently is dead and, you know, has built you this raft for you to like go on your lonely way to wander mm-hmm. around, you know, and, but then, um, and you meet nobody like to help you in the first town, but then you finally do, you get Sabin. And so things are actually kind of looking up a little bit here. Yeah. Um, the kid is rescued. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot like, it's a lot like the realm uh, sequence um, where shadow comes in and saves you from the burning building earlier, right? Um, it's it's very similar to that. Um, so I, I feel like there's this um, the sense that like you know things might be going in a direction back towards normal, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, At the very least, this is when you do start having direction, having focus. Like it's it's there after you get Sabin that you're told you know. There are a couple of towns on the Serpent Trench. Maybe check them out. Mobiles to the far east and 
what is it, Nineveh to the far north? Um, yeah, Nivea. Nivea, not Nineveh. That's a that's a different reference. <laughs> uh, perhaps uh, an apt one, but not. Uh, but there's so if you if you do, I mean, it's like not easy to make it all the way to Mobles on the far end of the serpent's tail. Mm-hmm. I, I think I took a chocobo and just okay. ran there. Yep. Um, and there's there's another like you know memory scene there but it's so it's so strange because Tara like refuses to join there isn't even really yeah. an obstacle to it other than like her own psyche um, yep and her own commitment to the kids that's like, right she feels needed by yeah them. which honestly i find like that's one of the most interesting things that happens in this new stage of the world to me mm-hmm. like Tara was such a key figure of the first half of the game she she's introduced to you as the central protagonist um, she is you know the linchpin of the world the the Christ figure the the mediator between humans and espers and you talk to her in this new world and she abdicates right. she just leaves and it's not even for a bad reason it's not like i don't want to do this anymore she's like no i found something that i can do that is positive that is helpful that means something as though everything that's happened before didn't um that all the fighting all the battles all of the you know metaphysical hyper politics it was just like a distraction it made her miserable which we knew like she never asked for that responsibility and now she gets to both leave it behind and accept one that might even be more meaningful. Um, and, you know, you can talk to her all kinds of different ways. Like you can ask her questions. You can, you know, try and like get the cinematic that you expect to get her to join your team and nothing at this point. Uh, like we'll, we'll come back to her. There will come another opportunity, but I like the idea that, you know, even in the apocalypse, Apocalypse, Terra has made a, a world for herself apart from what the game is doing. Um, apart from all of the the major, you know, faded fate of the world events that we've been watching so far. Like the I it brings such depth to her um as a character that I, I've always been impressed with that choice. Yeah. And I mean the way it represents this in the gameplay, right, is she faces off against the, one of the demons of legend that we've heard about uh, and all of her attacks just like don't do anything. It's so it's, it's not that the, the demon is too powerful though. Cause then your, your other two party members hop in and, and you know, do fine um, right. damage, but it's that she seems to have lost the will, right? The, yeah. Whatever it was that gave her her power, you know, that manifested as, power in battle is now um latent or, or sort of you know missing and uh, it's been replaced by this like yeah this caretaking thing um it's a really interesting like dilemma there it's like it's very strongly implied that you don't get to do both you know you don't yeah. get to both be a normal sort of mother figure and be this heroic person um yeah it's a very uh it's an offbeat sort of um, oh, direction to go with her character. Mm-hmm. We know that she's wanted uh, like love and intimacy, though. Uh, we yeah. saw that on the on the ship um, when she's talking to General Leo, right? Um, 
in some way this is like an evolution of her character like the conclusion she she was seeking for um in some way this is you know her coming of age like this is what she was meant to do or that's what she sees um whether or not that's accurate again like her her inability to do anything to the demon suggests that things are not all quite as good as she seems to think but it seems that she's losing ground at the end of the day um but even so she's happy which you know there's sort of this question like who are we to take that away from her yeah Uh, who are we to you know emphasize no you have to come on this epic quest you have to you have to fight and you have to you know oppose kefka and you have to her answer just kind of boils down to no i gotta protect these kids like who else is gonna do it yeah and i think that it's interesting that the the esper that you get afterwards so instead of getting her to join your party you do get an esper um and it's the fenris wolf right fenrir uh as it's uh, often called in these games and yeah what he does is basically like make you unhittable, right? Um, you, you sort of like have this uh, double image appear. And the spell that he teaches you is uh, one that just like removes enemies from battle. Um, it just like warps them into the, uh, the X zone, um, which is pretty cool. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't use it that often because it doesn't always work. I, I'm, I'm, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's so also like, kind of apps that we would run into Fenrir here yeah. again at the end of the world. Like something, something very appropriate about getting all of the espers who were like positive figures in when the world was good, and now starting to get these apocalyptic figures now that the world has gone to pot. Yeah, yeah. So I think you could you could get some other ones if you didn't get them before, um, but this is I think the first new esper if i'm remembering but um yeah so she she's hanging out with the kids if you if you hike all the way back around around along the the serpent trench you come to um the the port town of nivea mm-hmm. and nikea sorry yeah Nikea. Yeah. there we go wrong on both counts <laughs> and this there is one really good item that you can buy here um, that will enhance your magic power. Um, so it, I think it's not like quite as strong of a sword as some others you might have. Um, but if you just are going to cast spells anyway, it's pretty sweet. Um, I like the enhancer. Uh, yep. So the other the other thing you find here, of course, is uh, the uh, the mystery man, Jurad. <laughs> <laughs> so who could that? Yeah. It's like, it's very, very obvious, right? Um, that's Edgar. And mm-hmm. I think the mystery here is like, is he actually, uh, like, has he lost his memory? Um, you know, is this a third brother somehow, right? Another right, twin, yeah. right? a triplet? No. The evil but, uh, twin. They, there's always an evil twin. <laughs> or, or is he just, you know, pulling your leg? Is he, is he trying to trick you? Um, mm-hmm even though, you know, you never sort of fall for it. So that's what I think is kind of cool about um, Edgar. Like he also doesn't join your party, um, but you you sort of continue to try to get him to, whereas you can't with Tara. Um, so it's a, it's a cool kind of variation on that little theme. 
I also really like what Gerard is doing when you meet him. Like that Edgar has sort of appointed himself as the leader of this band of bandits who are apparently going on this heist into the lost South Figaro. Like there's something, you know, there, there's something very like fairy tale esque about the deposed King sneaking back into his kingdom. Oh, yeah. um, and just even the, like even the whole, the whole way that he approaches it, that he, he comes in disguise. Um, the fact that like he, he's sort of pretending not to be himself, even to his, his friends and allies. Um, it, it's just really, really interesting and really like classically um, motivated. Mm-hmm. Like I, I kept thinking of all the, of all the Shakespeare plays of like Dukes in disguise um, trying to you know reclaim their their birthright like in King Lear uh, with you know his his ally there the the Duke of Gloucester's son um, trying to like sneak around and re- and reclaim his rights. Um, his name is even Edgar actually. Yeah, just to make. It. <laughs> uh, um, he pretends even... to be mad. Um, you know, he he pretends that he's gone mad. Uh, very mm-hmm. very you know very Shakespearean. Um, yep. Jirad doesn't go that far. He just pretends to be, yeah, basically like a, a swashbuckling, you know, um, what's the movie called? Uh, the, the Princess Bride? With yes. Dread Pilot, Pirate Roberts. You know, yes. Same, same kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So, but I'm also like, what, what also struck me though is just, um, you know, the, there's the other element of Shakespeare that I kept thinking of with this section is how broken the world is around him. Like you think of Macbeth and, you know, as he's doing all of his violence and the horses are eating each other in the stables and like the, the storm is raging all around him. And that's, you know, this common Shakespeare trope that like when, when the, the lineage is out of order, so is the universe around it. Um, and I find a kind of rever- of reversal there. Like mm-hmm. Edgar's kingdom is literally buried at this point. Like it has become like buried treasure in its own right. Um, and you know, we, we finally get in there, we break into it through these tunnels that the bandits found, apparently. I remember Sarah saying, you know, how did they all breathe <laughs> for yeah. all this time? Um, so that's, int- I think that they like broke out of the castle, right? Weren't they the ones who were locked up in the castle's dungeons originally? Yeah. And they like tunneled out with a spoon or something. And, um, <laughs> It's like that's how they save their life, apparently, and that's how they break back in too, is via yep. the the back of the um, the prison, the bottom of the castle. Uh, yeah, so that's that's lovely. That's, I guess yeah. that means like Edgar's plan, sort of, kind of. Mm-hmm. That's why Edgar needs them. Like they're the only ones who know the route, yeah. uh, and, and you know you follow them, and they've even got that that great little bit where the turtle. Um, where you've got to like hop on the turtle's back to get into the passage. Like we saw the turtle before, Um, you know, everyone remembers it because that's like the healing place. The first time you run through that cave. Um, But then, you know, now, now it actually means something. Now you have to wait for the turtle to get in the right position in order to be able to, you know, make the trip and get into the basement. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, we're, we're sort of going through some places that look familiar um, but with this addition to them, right? This 
this other element of um, what was just backdrop or yeah, something sort of scenic uh, now is accessible. And this is the part of the castle we could never go in before because yes. um, the, the engineer was always blocking the, the lower, you know, stairway. Um, but now you can, right? And there, so if there is a treasure there, you can't actually get it, right? The treasure, like you said, is the castle itself. It's this, yeah. you know, this power of um, moving to an, another part of the world. Um, yeah. And Edgar even dismisses the treasure. Like the bandits all run away with it. And, you know, Sellas expresses concern. She's like, what about the treasure? Shouldn't we go get it? And he's like, no, it's worthless. Right. Um, obviously, he's just here for the castle to reclaim his kingdom. That's what he wants. Like, forget the gold, the jewels, the trinkets. Like, what the heck are you supposed to do with them in this post-apocalyptic wasteland anyway? Um, but now he's got, now he's restored to his rightful position. Now, you know, he is king again. And, you know, well, they think that he's just been eaten by this tentacle monster, right? Right. But it's also gone. So, like, did they kill each other, like, heroically? But they don't even, like, care. They're just like, oh, well, boss is gone. Let's go. One less less person to share the spoils with. (laughs) So great. Um, I hated that boss fight, by the way. Um, I kept healing, you know, the tentacles. They all have different... Like yes. even that they're all going to have the same weakness because they all look the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, and then you end up healing them. Uh, so you can't like, I don't know. I just didn't have a very good approach to this battle, I guess. Um, yeah. I had gotten into the habit. Um, Cause again, it's just Sellas and, and Sabin at that point. So again, it's just all the more emphasized that like, there's only so much control you have over the situation. Edgar joins up for this fight specifically, but you know, it's also unhelpful that the tentacles keep grabbing you <laughs> um, and incapacitating you while you're entangled. Um, but the the strategy I had built up, like once again, I had equipped Sabin with the the Genji glove, so he had two two fists going, as well as um, the black belt. So every time somebody hit him, he would like retaliate double. Yes. Uh, but I was experimenting with his other brawl moves. Um, and found that the fire dance was extremely helpful throughout this whole section. Um, Like I was using it to one shot most of the monsters that I was running across in in the castle. And then when I finally got to the tentacle monsters, one of them would heal whenever he used fire, but the other three would take damage. So you just spam it until all three of them are gone. And then you take on the one that's left. Um, and I found that very effective. Like it was a little hairy at a couple points, um, but as long as Sellers kept healing and Sabin kept dealing out fire damage, it worked out. Yeah, I mean, so we sort of are like repopulating our party more or less in the same order of of who we had at the start of the game, except that Sellers stands in for Terra, right? Mm-hmm. And and Locke is missing, right? He's the he's yeah. the sort of. Um, haunting you know absence in the party at this point um so i think yeah i I like the i really like the way that this portion of the game um has this kind of slow build up right yeah but but pretty soon yeah your party is again quite strong because you have these two characters who are like ridiculous they were they were really strong to begin with (laughs) (laughs) two best characters i i think at least they're the simplest to to make them yeah 
perspective. Um, so, yeah, so it's a good, I mean, it's a good bit of a uh, glimmer of hope here. Um, we've got the castle, so we've got some wheels, right? We can, we can make our way to, again, sort of like following the course of the game um, over to the other continent um, with, um, what did it have there? The Colosseum, right? Mm -hmm. That's finally going to be completed. The Opera House and all that good stuff. Zozo. Um, yep. So we'll try to tackle that for uh, for the next time here, um, or some portion of it. Um, yep. I think we also get the airship, don't we? Pretty soon. I'm pretty sure the next person to join up is Setzer, and most of most yeah. of next week's discussion will be devoted to resurrecting the airship. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. After which we'll have to deal with the the issue of how much freedom we're actually dealing with at this point. Uh, yeah, we'll have to coordinate that, our side quests. Yeah, you can kind of go in many different orders. Hmm. Okay, yeah. we should we should discuss uh, make some plans here. All right, cool. Any other stuff from this time that we should have brought up, delved into a bit more? Not that I can think of. I mean, we, we hit all the major points, talked about the light of judgment, Kafka's nigh omnipotence, the aloneness, and both of our party members joining up at their various times, as well as visiting Terra and Mobiles. Um, yeah. But yeah. All right. I guess the one thing that I would say, would point to is the music. Like, mm -hmm. Nobuo Uematsu is definitely, you know, a great composer because of all the stuff that he'd been doing before Final Fantasy VI, but like he really shines just with the sort of melancholy and lonely music that he composes through here. Just, yeah, you know, it, it's such an, it's such an impressive aid to the mood. Um, so often, like we, we talked a little bit about that dirge that you hear on the overworld map when, when Sellas is wandering around on the Island and you know, that, that becomes kind of like, the the foundation for the sort of doom and gloom attitude um but especially once we get the airship back like the airship mu music in the second half of the game is one of my favorite tracks that he ever put together <laughs> yes yes it is it is so great um so i think that we're sort of seeing the setup for that though right like yeah. everything very gloomy um we we can't get tara back like what are we going to do um that's that sort of helps it have that kind of effect when it does finally come in. Yeah. 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 The track's name is actually searching for friends. Which yeah. It's just so apt. Like just such a clear, I mean, airship music is famously good in the Final fantasy games anyway. Like you can absolutely rock out to the, the high wind theme in final fantasy seven or the Ragnarok theme in, in final fantasy eight or even some of the earlier stuff. Uh, like the space whale. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, searching for friends is simultaneously like just such a good rousing airship theme, but also, you know, just infused with that loss, that, that want um, for something more. Yeah. All right. We can, we can develop that a bit more when we uh, reconnect with your man Setzer. Oh yeah. Um, all right. Well, thanks again. Um, I hope that we can record again before too long, before too much more goes wrong in the world. Uh, yeah, no kidding. Um, well, hopefully I should be on a, a weekly schedule now that I'm not 
teaching. So all is well. All right. Cool. Sounds good. Take care of yourself. You too, sir. All right.